Welcome to the Real Estate Entrepreneurs Podcast. Real people doing real deals in real estate and no fake gurus allowed. We bring you the best and the most real real estate investors in the space. They'll be showing you the good, the bad, and the ugly of real estate investing. Like, share, subscribe, get notified. It's the Real Estate Entrepreneurs Podcast. Welcome to the Real Estate Entrepreneurs Podcast. And today we have my friends from Birmingham, Alabama, Russ and Joey with Wealth Without Wall Street. Welcome to the podcast, guys. Thank you so much for uh, taking time out of your busy lives. I know you both are very busy. So who are you guys? Who is Wealth Without Wall Street? Uh, let's start with that. Well, uh, Ricardo, thanks for having us, man. It was, it was so awesome to meet you last fall uh, when you're in town. And hopefully we, we showed you a great time in a, a new city and uh, we got to hear your story. So I'm, I'm grateful we get, to, we get to share a little bit today. Um, you want to start with Wealth Without Wall Street or us personally? Let's go. Start, let's start with Wealth Without Wall Street and then we'll go individually. Well, I, I think uh, the reason why we connected so well, Ricardo, is that we believe the same things about how wealth is created. And ultimately, Wealth Without Wall Street exists because there is such bad information in this world that has been fed to us, spoon-fed to us since we were kids um, for generations about how to give up access to our own money, how to put money away for a long period of time and hope that it grows to some like accumulated mound of cash that we can somehow survive off of in the last days, but it's based out of scarcity. It's based out of, um, you know, penny pinching and not living a full and abundant life. And uh, we're just like, no, that's not the truth. You need to know the truth. We want to shine the light in the dark place of personal finance, because ultimately when people no longer have, the kind of the, the weight on them of financial stress, they can truly become who they were meant to be and they can serve this world to the fullness. So hopefully that, uh, that's kind of the overarching theme of who wealth that wall street is. What would you wow. That, I, 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 I just love, man, I could think about at least five different people that I know of as you started talking about scarcity, penny pinching, uh, I remember going out with this guy. This guy is worth a lot of money, man. And, he, and we'll go to a restaurant and he's penny pinching the menu. Oh, I'm not going to order this because, I don't know, it's $20. And I was like, oh, my God, I've seen your bank account. You know, <laughs> what is wrong with you, right? Uh, and, and that's so true. Uh, it, it's, you know, it's our ancestors or they bring that, that you know, that uh, those I guess those bad behaviors, I don't know if it is a bad behavior, but it's, it's like, I, I want to be rich today, not when I die. Right. I want to live my life to the fullest. Yeah, too much of the information that we have, we, we learned as a kid, right? Five, six, seven years old, and that information we carry forward. And it's hard. It's much harder to unlearn information. I watched a video many years ago. It's called The Backwards Bicycle. I don't know if you've ever seen it or not. 
but it, it actually kind of goes into detail in a really funny way. It's a, a, an engineer that these welders built a bicycle. When you, when you turn the handlebars to the left, the wheel goes to the right and vice versa. And they tried to, to see if the engineer could ride it, you know, and his analytical brain was thinking, okay, well, I could just overcome it by doing this, right? Crossing my hands or, you know, trying to do it. He couldn't ride the bicycle and it frustrated him so much that he actually traveled the world with this bicycle telling the reason why the pathways in our brain have been put there with this bias that you cannot overcome it. And he used this simple example of we all learn how to ride a bicycle and you would assume you could figure out how to do this, but you can't. Right. I, mean, you, I mean, not that you can't ride it around a block. You can't actually make one revolution of the, of the, uh, the spoke or whatever on, on the wheel. And, and that's, that, that's hard to believe, but that's what we get because we come to the world with this information that has been fed to us, typically from our parents, right? But also from mentors and consumption and education world. And we believe that there's one way to do things. And it's, that's what we, Joey and I feel like our call is, is to, is to call out the bull crap that exists, like to say, no, that's false. And, and not that we get to like spend, you know, ridiculously, it's not about like, you know, n- not being prudent with money and being a good steward, but it's like, why do we want to wait 30 years to go to Disney world with our great grandkids or something like, like that's not that's not interesting to me. It's why don't we find ways to get assets to produce the cash flow so we can do the things we want to do today. That's awesome, man. So, so, so tell me about yourself. Now let's go back to you guys. Your upbringings. Are you both? Are you both of you are from Birmingham, right? Were you guys born and raised or? Yeah, no, I, I actually grew up not, not too far from here, about an hour, hour and a half South in Montgomery. Uh, Montgomery is the capital of Alabama. And I, I grew up in a house that my dad, and my mom, they got a divorce when I was really young. And okay. so my mom, um, you know, showed me a work ethic at a really young age where she, she was forced to go to college. Like she didn't go to college when she graduated high school, she became a mom really shortly after with my sister and, you know, worked in kind of a, you know, a secretarial type role at, within a company. And when her and my dad divorced, that was not going to cut it. She wasn't going to be able to raise the two of us on that level of income. So she went back to school nights and, and weekends and ultimately got her degree, went back, got a master's degree, but she was still, I don't want to say just still, she was a teacher, right? So still our income was very low. And I, I learned, you know, just watching her having to work really hard. And then my dad was a general contractor. So I spent my time with him on the weekends you know, carrying uh, shingles up a ladder, you know, getting wow. on top of roofs and, and, and painting and, and, you know, remodeling houses. And, and he was always working for investors, you know, like he, most of the stuff that we were working on were rental properties. And so I'd, I'd, I'd see these properties, these people were buying and we were going in and rehabbing them and getting them ready for them to turn around and rent it. And I, I just would observe these things at a young age, but I, we never had anything. I never really wanted for anything. But money and the education of money never existed. So when I when I was coming out of college, I was thinking like, what would be a really cool job? It would be a job that I could, you know, deal in money. And if I, I figure out how that works, then maybe I could have some. And thankfully for me, Ricardo, nobody hired me right out of college because I'd have been a disaster. Right? <laughs> like, you know, usually people in the financial field and, and everybody listening to this can relate. You knew somebody that got out of college or whatever, a buddy that you probably were drinking with. Um, 
and, and, and they come out and next thing they know, they're a financial advisor and they know more than everybody else. And they're wanting you to give the harder money that you're working for to them. And you're like, really? You're the guy I'm going to give money to? Like, I don't like, I remember you, right? You're, you're not the person that is a really good uh, steward of money. And that, you know, I had no friends. I didn't, you know, I wasn't, you know, uh, fortunate enough to, or to go into any, you know, fraternities, stuff like that. So I didn't have this like big network of people that I could go into. So thankfully I wasn't, I wasn't hired to do that. I actually was hired to, to run, um, a, a rental car company. I, I went to work for enterprise rental car and, and I worked really hard over a really short period of time to kind of promote up the ladder. I moved through like four different States in a really short period of time, like six or seven different cities. And through that process, I learned a lot about you know, how to make a profit is not only from revenue, but also from expenses and how to be a better manager of people, a manager of my time. And I did that for about four years until my wife got into dental school and that brought me to Birmingham. That's the reason we're in Birmingham. There's a, a big dental school here in Birmingham. And, and that set me on the journey to say, okay, let me see if I can pursue this financial thing at that point. And, and that was 2004. So, you know, it's been 17 years. A lot of changes have happened in there, but that's kind of the the premise of my journey. Wow. So um, I heard many interesting things. Uh, one of them being part of a large corporation like Enterprise, right? Um, yeah. So you learn, you know, how to run based on profits and also how to, you know, look at the bottom line, right? Um, and I, that's a, a business that I've always been intrigued by is the rental car business. I was like, man, how do they make money with those cars, right? Because those are depreciating assets. Um, yeah. and, but there, of course, there is a way to make money. Otherwise, uh, they wouldn't be out there, right? Um, but then you moved around also within the corporation. So you were willing to do whatever it took for you to continue to, to, to grow within, within that platform, right? Um, you know, making a name for yourself. You were probably recognized by, amongst your peers. Um, and, and then when, when you end up in Birmingham, then you started really looking now. Now, did you go to, you go to college for financial? Uh, what, what was your degree on? Yes, I had a, a, you know, most like most people, right? You go with one thought in mind and then you change 14 times before you end, right? Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I actually ended with a degree in business management. Um, it, it started in horticulture and moved to accounting. <laughs> wow. And it ended in, in business management. I, I took all my electives in finance. I really liked finance. Um, initially, I thought I was going to be an accounting major kind of when I really got focused. But then uh, there's an intermediate accounting and I, I skimmed through the first version of that. There was two versions you had to get through in order to be a finance major. I got through the first one uh, with a D and I was excited about that D <laughs> and, you know, reading, reading balance sheets and income statements and putting those together was that, that that's just not the way my brain was built. And, and so I, I was excited to get out of that. And I ultimately found a degree that could take all the, the time and effort that I had uh, put in all those other things and not maybe go back another year. Cause I'd already spent that first year playing baseball at a junior college, wasting my year. <laughs> you know? right. so I was already on the five-year program. I didn't want to make it the six-year program. And, okay. and I got out basically with just some basic knowledge. I mean, I, I, you know, we, we have four kids and I, I'm always in trying to instill in them that learning I've read way more books than I ever, ever even pretended to read in my first 12 years of education or the four or five years after that in college. It, 
you know, when you get out podcasts like this, books that you can read or, or listen to, the education level that we can gain doesn't have to come inside of a, you know, the walls of a, a university or a school. And I think that, you know, just educating ourselves is a big, huge key. And that's one of the things that I've tried to, to do is to constantly learn. It's probably because I had a very, you know, poor educational upbringing. You know, I grew up in a public school environment in a, you know, lower income area of town. So, you know, I've always felt like I've been that underdog trying to, to, you know, prove my worth. And, and that constantly, you know, drives and fuels that entrepreneur nature in me, I think. How old were you when your parents got divorced? So they, they officially split when I was in the first grade. So you must have been six years old, maybe six, seven years old. Yeah. Yeah. Somewhere in there. Um, and, you know, we, we, I am told, or uh, based on NLP, Neuro Linguistics Programming, we operate under our seven-year-old. Yeah. So why is that? that all the time. Because our subconscious, well, I, I do feel like I'm a seven-year-old all day long, but <laughs> the reality is, is that our subconscious mind was built all of, until we were seven. Yeah. So that's what we call our workers. And, and um, you know, now you can rewire that by what you just said, reading new books, going into listening to new podcasts, you start rewiring that subconscious mind, but um, most people actually, 99% of the, the, the population, they operate under the seven-year-old. And that's why I asked that question, because um, sometimes when, when those things happen, I'm also from uh, divorced parents, right? But my divorce, when I was like 15, I was actually happy it happened. I was like, ah, shit, I don't have my dad here anymore. Good. I can do whatever I want, you know, <laughs> so <laughs> wrong, <laughs> right. but, um, but, uh, but yeah, I was just curious, man. And, and, um, you know, you telling the, the, on how you were around landlords that were rehabbing their houses with your dad and how you saw the work ethic from your mother. Um, you marry those two together and, and, and then a best version of, of, of both of them come together. Right. Um, yeah, no, there's no doubt that I think we we definitely observe our surroundings, right? And and I, I knew at a really early age that I did not want to work outside, right? Like I, I, I could never find a shovel or a hammer that would fit my hand, right? After all those years of working <laughs> those days, I was waking up way too early. You know, my dad show up at six o'clock in the morning to pick me up sometimes. I'm like, no, that's not a good idea. But then also observing the friends around me and and I was around a lot of stuff, um, you know, some of which I, I participated in some, some of, I was just a, an observer in. Yeah. And, and I always had this like thought process that I, I wanted to rise above all of those things. And, right. and, and I, and, you know, but, but to be honest, it's like, I, I look back to the friends that I have and so many are right where I left them. Right. You know, and, and, and it's interesting. I, you know, I, I would attribute this not to my own but to God, God drew me out of that world and, and has constantly given me more gifts and talents than I ever should have had. And, and I just think, you know, it's just one of those things where sometimes we're just blessed. And I, you, you look back and like, well, how did we get to this point? Right. How do, how do we spend more money in a month than most people that I hang out yeah. with making a year? Right. That's right. And, and that's the, it, it's hard to figure that out, but man, just continue to, 
to try to uh, you know i you i found an answer to that man uh because i i believe that god in the universe uh they're not uh, so god is not being better to you than he is to the other guys what happens is you were able to follow that path that he put in front of you you picked up the path and you followed it some of those guys didn't they didn't see the path they didn't recognize it it's not that god wasn't good to them it's just that they didn't see it you saw it and boom you went into cuff somewhere else i was having this conversation with a friend of mine we grew up together and we were having the same exact conversation man i can't believe so and so they're still doing the same exact thing that we were doing when we were 16 years old it's incredible why why is it that i went and and, and became what we've become so far and those guys they got stuck in the past right and it's because they never saw it they they weren't they weren't able to see the light they weren't able to follow a different path they weren't able to recognize that there was a different calling for them and they just got stuck there right so uh that i love the way you put it uh that god you know gave you a path and 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 you followed it and and but that's my answer to that is that the path was laid down in front of them one way or another they just couldn't they just couldn't see it or or they or they elected not to see it um what about you joy you've been quiet uh tell me about your upbringings man well that's normally how it works on our show ricardo <laughs> I, I just listen russ talks all the time uh but yeah so i i would say um my my story is a little bit different uh in terms of i grew up all over the southeast my my parents uh my dad and mom got married really young and they had me at age 20 and um they I think they were still kids. Like they didn't know what in the world they wanted to do. And my dad actually joined the air force to try to, you know, he had lost his dad in his teens, his teen years. And it really kind of set him on a, a path to basically um, some destruction. I mean, really, he, he really was um, lost in, in his life. And he joined the military, I think to just kind of get some structure and uh, some direction. Cause he just didn't know what he was going to do. And he said, uh, so then he, he married my mom and then we, he, they had me shortly thereafter and we lived all over the Southeast because the, the air force moved them quite a bit. And then about, uh, when I was about 10 years old, we were living in Panama city, Florida at the time. And he, he, he and my mom had started bringing us to church and started, um, you know, kind of getting around, um, the, the Bible and, and hearing the gospel and it changed them. They really became changed. And they said, man, just coming to church isn't enough. I want to be able to serve others. And so one Sunday, just out on a whim, my dad was like, we're not going to the same church. We always go to, we're going to go to the salvation army and just see if we can help somebody. And I'm like, okay. So we just drove randomly to a new place and they actually have church at the salvation army which I did not know that nobody, most people don't know that the Salvation Army is actually a church. And so we started attending this place where a lot of people that are kind of down and out end up at, because they come to the Salvation Army looking for food or clothes or help with their rent or their utilities or whatever. And then they subsequently say, Hey, by the way, you know, we're going to, we're going to worship on Sunday morning. Why don't you join us? 
And I don't know if you know many po- people in that position, but it it's kind of like, well, man, nobody else is opening their doors. Nobody else is kind of inviting me in. So they come. And, and so it, it put me at a young age around people that were in a different position than I was, um, you know, socially, financially, whatever you want to call it. And we didn't make, make a lot of money by any means, but there were people that were much worse off than my family. And I got to see that. I think that really set the stage for me to see like, Hey, serving others is important to me. And it's something that I, I've kind of like focused in on. And also having impact is something that I, I value and I want to be a part of. So um, anyways, that's just kind of given a little bit of background on context of where I came from. So all throughout, like even middle school and high school, we continue to move now with the Salvation Army. So my parents got so fired up about, you know, uh, being a part of that ministry, they basically said, hey, what if we were be- become pastors with the Salvation Army? And so my dad actually walked away from his Air Force career and we went to Atlanta to study. They had to go to like a two or three year, a two year college to study how to become basically pastors within the Salvation Army. And, wow. and then the Salvation Army moved us more than the Air Force ever did. <laughs> wow. They, they, they treat it like a military kind of deal where you don't own your own house. You don't own your own cars. You don't own even the furniture in the house. You literally, so they give you orders. They're like, Hey, by the way, um, we're moving you to new Orleans. So that was our first place that we lived, uh, outside of the college. And, and so we literally take our personal belongings, move into a house that we didn't have any choice over. Um, none of the, uh, linens in the house. I mean, it's, it's bizarre. Like even the plates and the cups in the kitchen are not yours. They're the Salvation Armies, and you just move in. You you got into the Airbnb business, and you didn't even know about it. <laughs> they exactly. were Airbnb in you. <laughs> it was an extended stay Airbnb, uh, and we would stay places for roughly two to three years, and um, and then move again. And so, so a couple of thoughts that I have on that. Number one, it was weird because nobody else could really, you know understand what that's like. Hey, you don't own anything. You just move around like a nomad basically. And then number two, you're always the new guy. So like going into schools, you know, ball, like recreation leagues or whatever you're involved with, you're always the new kid. And I've seen some people respond to that in a very negative way. Like it was just hard. It was difficult. And it kind of sets them on a path of like negativity Whereas I always looked at it as it was really a positive thing because it forced me to, to listen to others and to like, look for ways to connect with people that I may have nothing else in common with, but I'm always in that position. So, um, to me, it it really set me on a, uh, you know, position to say, man, I can, I can fit in with anybody. Like I can, I can basically get to know people And, and I know how to do it quickly because if you're only in a place for two or three years, it's not a long time to just sit around and wait for people to initiate to you. You got to go to them and, you know, have the awkward conversations like, Hey, where are you from? What do you do? You know, 
that sort of thing. And it's helped me in a lot of different ways. Um, my career, just networking is one of the gifts I believe, you know, God used in that whole process to help me uh, grow in business. Learning um, how to adapt. You absolutely have, like there's for some people adapting and embracing change is so hard that that's why they fail for you. That's not a problem. Well, as an entrepreneur, you know, those are like the key ingredients. Yes. Like if you don't have that, you're going to struggle. And so I guess it hasn't felt weird to be an entrepreneur because of those things. Um, but you are yeah. weird to the rest of the people. Yeah. No doubt. <laughs> yeah, It's it kind of weird that you were asking like your elementary friends, what do they do for a living? <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, um, <laughs> You guys do what? And oh my God, you guys are crazy. You you guys don't have a paycheck? Well, you know, it's it's we we're just entrepreneurs, right? So yeah. So that's very interesting, man. Uh, um how old were you when you were doing all this moving around? Like from around what time to what time? So I was 10 or 11 whenever we first moved to Atlanta. Then I'm two years later moved to New Orleans. And then three years later, so I was I was like 15 when we moved to Birmingham after that. And so I guess and I was born in Texas. I was born in San Antonio, actually. Oh, wow. So uh, so I, I guess oh, that's because that's where your dad was going for or the Air Force in boot camp. huh? Yep, exactly. Exactly. So. So, yeah, I guess I moved four or five times before ended up here in Birmingham and went to high school here stayed here to go to college, a little liberal arts school down uh, south of Birmingham, about 30 minutes. And that's where I met my wife. And, um, and so she was from Montgomery, actually where Russ is from. And she's like, there's no way I'm going back to that place. Well, um, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. We're, we're all in agreement to that. One of the things he's so humble at, he won't tell you, but uh, Ricardo, he was actually the valedictorian of his senior class. Oh, wow. Well, I mean, come on. There was only two of us in the whole <laughs> class, so somebody had to be about. No, so did, did the other guy pick you or what? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, he lost the bet, but uh, but no, it it was a uh, it was an honor to do that, and then that really was. I feel like that was the way that the Lord even allowed me to go to college because my parents, being in the Salvation Army, had virtually made no money, and so there was, you know. There was no, yeah, they were, they were just serving. They, they, they were serving. They weren't, they weren't in it for the money. Uh, exactly. They were just serving. So, so that having that valedictorian allowed me to go to school for free. And, um, and so that was, that was a huge, huge blessing for me. Um, it was very formative to be in at college, not necessarily because of what I learned in the classroom, because the classroom was pretty much pointless but um, the people that I was around really invested in me. I had mentors throughout college and, uh, and really got to know the Lord very deeply in college. And I feel like that set me on a path to, um, to be able to impact others. So that was, that was huge for me. What do you go to college for? Well, I actually went first as a music major. Okay. And which you, was, do you play bizarre. any instruments right now? I, I really don't, which is sad. Um, 
It is. I, I mean, it is kind of sad, man, because you went from music to college. I mean, you must have loved music back then. Well, it was, I was a voice major, if that if that helps. Oh, so you sing? Well, I did sing. I, I'm oh. not really a singer. I, honestly, I wasn't that good. I don't know why anybody let me sign up to oh. be a voice major, but <laughs> I guess I was a grinder, man. Like I just worked hard, you know. Like people are like, "Yeah, let's just pass him." I mean, he's he's working really hard. He's not necessarily the greatest uh, singer, but we'll just let him go. But, yeah. um, but I, you know, I'm also like an efficiency guy. Like, I, if I don't see how this thing's going to work out really well, I'm just going to move on. And they started going through my classwork, and they're like, "Look, you're going to have to take like 22 hours a semester just to graduate in four years." And some of the classes in the music world. You get one credit hour, but you have to go three or four or five times a, a week. So I was like, I was like 40 hours a week as a student. And I'm like, this is a joke, man. Yeah. I'm not, if I'm not going to be a teacher to, to teach music or go like on Broadway or something, which I wasn't good enough for either one of those things. I was like, yeah, I'm not going to live my college days, like working like a dog here. So right. So subsequently, I said, I don't know what in the world I want to do. So I'm going to get a communication studies degree, which has the least amount of hours possible to get a major. And, um, you know, and, and I just have to do some speeches from time to time. And uh, that actually worked out really, really well. Yeah. You just wanted the, like, so let's talk about these guys, both of you. What, when did you find out what you wanted to do when you, when you grew up, like, cause you, you got, you both were going through college. It's like, man, I really don't know what I want to do. Like, I want to get a degree. Yeah. You didn't care what degree that was. Right. Which right. Isn't that, I mean, I think that that is the case for the majority of people. Now there's some people that are like, I want to be a doctor. I want to be a lawyer, whatever it is. And, and, and they know that. And they, they spend every single day. That's the outlier. The large majority of us are reason people go to college is to get a piece of paper that certifies them, right? It's just we think that that's the pre-qualifier to get paid. And and I, when when did I figure it out? To be honest, you know, after four years of working for Enterprise Rent a Car and getting into the financial industry, I was still figuring it out. Like, is, is this really what I'm called to do? And for five years, I was doing it, but I wasn't super successful in it because I really didn't completely understand all. I was the typical financial planner. I was, I actually got my certified financial planning designation in 2008. And I, I was like learning it and I, I liked the people side of the business, but still the, what the, what made everything tick, I still couldn't understand it. It was still, I was so far removed from it, which is way 99% of all advisors are. They're just so far. They're just a money babysitter. That's all I was. I was literally just a, a middleman of many middlemen between the person with money and the person who was actually doing something with the money. Right. And, and it wasn't until after the crash and I started actually helping people get more control of their cash flow and actually starting to invest that cash flow in the things that they were involved in that I was like, oh, this is what I really want to do. Like, this is when I hit that passion point of, and how old awesome. were you at the time? That was probably, that was 2000, I'd say 2010, where it really clicked. 
So eleven years maybe, ago, maybe thirty, maybe 30, 32, 33 years old. Okay, I mean yeah, it, he's it, a it's good a, bit older than he looks, Ricardo. So yeah, what's all that exercise and good eating, man? We that's about? good. That the, your morning routines, right? They keep you young. So, <laughs> so what about you, Joey? What, what when did you find out really what you wanted to do? Well, so right after college, I thought I was going to go into like a full time ministry position, and. I started down that path and God just started shutting doors. Like it was, it was just obvious, you know, if you're, you're going down this path we were talking about and things start to shut, it's obvious. Like it's not, that is not your calling. And I tell God, Hey Lord, just make it really clear. Like I'm slow. I need you to just be real clear with me. What is it you want me to do? And so he's shutting all these doors and I was like, palms up. Like, I don't know what I need to do now. And gratefully, there's um, folks, mentors in my life at that time that were able to connect me with other business people. And they said, you know, hey, uh, you need to go meet with this guy. You need to go meet with this guy. And so I met with this guy that was in the mortgage business and he had his own mortgage shop. And and I was like, okay, well, tell me what you do. And he starts telling me what he does and all this stuff. And I'm like, this sounds awesome. Like, meeting with people, networking, going out and you're helping people with a very important financial decision. Um, you know, every, every time that they move or whatever, or refinance, like that makes sense to me. I, I'm, I'm, I'm ready to go. So when do I start? And he's like, Oh no, I don't hire people without experience. And I'm like, well, you don't understand. I don't have experience and I need a job to get the experience. So let's, <laughs> let's make that happen. And he's like, I tell you what, why don't you go to a small bank, get some experience, just go like ask them to process some loans or something. And, and then let's talk. And I'm like, okay, well, at the time I lived in an apartment right next to this little tiny bank in, in Birmingham. And I told my wife, I was like, I'm just going to walk over there and just see if they're hiring people to do mortgage stuff. Now, mind you, I didn't know what a mortgage was or how to spell it, but I was like, you know what? Let's just go see what they're going to do. I I really like this guy. I want to, I want to follow what he said. So something Ricardo kind of stuck out to me the day before I was going to go over to this bank. I was, something hit me. I was like, I need to, I need to stand out. Like I need to stand out somehow. So I baked some cookies Literally, I baked some tear and bake. I didn't actually make cookies. I just put them in the oven and I put them on a plate. But on the plate, I said, I would really like a job here at your bank. Call me and I put my phone number on. And then I covered it up with the cookies. And so great. I mean, trust me, I'm like, this makes no sense. This is random. My wife's like, that is bizarre that you would even think about something like that. And so I go across the street. I bring my resume and I bring these cookies. I walk in. They're expecting me. It's like an appointment. And I hand it to the lady and we go into this little conference room. And while we're in the interview, her stomach is literally doing somersaults. I'm talking like loud. I'm, I mean, this is not like. Is that from little, the cookies? <laughs> well, no, she, she didn't have anything to eat. Oh, and I, so I'm, I'm sitting there and I'm, it's awkward. I mean, it's an awkward sound, Ricardo. Like you're like, there's yeah, no I, way she doesn't know that I'm like uncomfortable hearing this thing. Right. 
And I said, uh, so we're going through what's your network like, you know, tell me about yourself. Blah, blah. And I said, Hey, by the way, I don't know if they told you, but I brought some cookies. Uh, if, if you're hungry, like there, there's some cookies out in the lobby. And so anyways, at that, about that time, the other lady comes in and she's like, look at this. It is all women, by the way, in this mortgage group, which I think helped me because the dude would have been like, why are you bringing cookies? In? Yeah. This is ridiculous. But they're all like, this is the cutest thing I've ever seen. Oh my goodness. Look at this. And they're like talking about me in front of me. Like, look at this. Look what he did. He wrote his name, his number. Like, this is what we need people to do in the mortgage business. Go out and network all the realtors. And so I literally walk out of there with a job producing mortgages. I didn't even know what it was. And, and so anyways, I start training the next day or whatever, but that was how I got my first job. And I didn't know that's what I wanted to do necessarily, but I got really good at it and uh, built a career over 11 years doing that. I rose up, actually went to work for Wells Fargo later and, um, and grew a team. I had 25 loan officers. I was managing about 60 bank branches and those loan officers and the relationships there, um, closing like over 200 loans a year myself with a team and leading the, the branch. And, uh, and that's, you know, during that time is when I met Russ and he started implementing with me. First of all, he gave me this book. He's like, Hey, I want to start sending you referrals. Um, you just got to read this book. And I'm like, okay, sweet. He's like, by the way, it's $20. And I'm like, he saw you the book. <laughs> I'm like, Russ, what are you talking about? Dude, that's low budget. Like you want me to read a book to be prepared for your clients, but you're going to charge me for that. Like, come on, man. Like, are you, are you struggling? Like, what's the deal? And, uh, but he actually knew if I didn't pay for it, I probably wouldn't read it. So I think there was some wisdom there and some cheapskate. I'm not sure which one, but, um, but gratefully he did. Cause when I read the book, I was like, bang, like this is what people need to know. This is what I need to be doing. I need to implement it myself. And this is what other people need to be doing. So I implemented it myself for my family and over four years, he and I really grew a great relationship. We went to a lot of different um, conferences together. And as each time I was around this, I was like, man, why don't more people know about this? And I'm like, it's because Russ sucks at getting the word out. <laughs> so I need to come and work. For no, I didn't think that. I, but I wasn't a communication major. <laughs> yeah. Well, you, so I, I'm going to say that you're probably a good operator and enjoy is a good relationships guy he's, he's all relationships like th there's not a room this dude walks in that he doesn't know everybody in there and they're hugging him and kissing on him and i mean but, see, I, but i'm like the wingman though ricardo so i go into the room i kind of get things going and then russ takes over like like the the life of the party like he's the guy that can really not sing <laughs> And we'll go up in front of the room and do, you know, uh, karaoke. I do a hell of a Neil. He screws it up and everybody loves it. Yeah, they love him. <laughs> they love him to death. I, I got the ball started because he wouldn't talk to you if he, if he wanted to. I go and start talking to people and then they're like, hey, who's that guy? Okay, well, I'll go hang out with him. 
Yeah. Then I, then I just move on to somebody else. But that's important. That's important in any relationship, right? You guys know the roles, right? So you open up the doors, he closes them, right? So he's there the you closer. Go. You're the opening act. And, and that's why, that's why, you know, uh, if, if more business partners knew what role they, they feel within the relationship, a lot more uh, partnerships will last much longer. Oh, uh, I mean, we're, we're, we're totally Maverick and goose in this deal. Like everybody yeah. loved goose and top gun. Everybody, you know, like that, that is, that's, he is the goose of all gooses. So <laughs> I'm, work, I'm working on the mustache. I need to. I'm glad you didn't say Batman and Robin. <laughs> would have been Batman and would have been Robin. We'll leave that for the next one, right? So, That's so right. you guys, so how do you guys meet? Like, how, 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 when do you guys meet? How, how was that? Like, yeah, we met actually at church. We were in the same Sunday school class, and Joey and I went to like a, like a new, new members to the Sunday school class luncheon or something, and, you know, the the connector in him walked straight up to me started talking and and we we i mean our brains are basically the same thing ricardo like our wives are like you guys are like truly two seven-year-old kids but we yeah. laugh at the same jokes <laughs> if if we're sitting there and something is going on that's awkward around us we'll start to text each other and sometimes we'll we'll, we'll send sin about the same time and we'll actually have been pointing out or making a comment about the exact same thing so we, we literally are just uh, two peas in a pod and, and we have a lot of fun. I mean, our, our, uh, our office is always like trying to keep us in line, you know, like that we have a team of organized people and, and here we are constantly, you know, doing cannonballs in the pool kind of thing. Right. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I think you guys could have been great wholesalers. Um, m- uh, most, most of us that are in the wholesaling business, we, we tend not to be liked by the neighbors around our offices because they're all like insurance people, engineers, banks, and then us. <laughs> and and here we're loud. We're always, you know, we're <laughs> most of these guys are cursing all the time, you know, and uh, you know, that we come in shorts, flip-flops, like the business um, I guess, manners. They stayed somewhere else um, before we got into this building. And it happens to most of us. Like, I went to Phoenix last week. Same thing with those guys. I went to San Antonio. Same thing with those guys. So it's, it's a cultural thing. that. So you guys would have fit right in, uh, you know, if you guys were in the wholesaling business. So uh, so that's how you guys met. You guys met at church, and then you started growing our relationship. When do you guys say, let's do wealth without Wall Street? Like, how did that happen? How would that, how was that realization happen to both of you? So I, after my kind of, uh, wake up from being, I was in the mortgage business. Like I said, for four years, I've been working with Russ personally, just on my own finances, getting the things in place that we teach people now, like how to look at my budget differently, how to optimize my cash flows so that I'm not giving away money unnecessarily. I'm not paying off debts that I don't need to worry about and focusing on cash flow, like building passive income streams and putting my money where I can access it and things like this. I got so fired up. We were at a conference and I was like, dude, I feel like God's telling me I need to give up my career and do this full time. And Russ is like, you sure? Are you sure you're not hearing him wrong? Like, 
you're making over $300,000 in the mortgage business. My wife's pregnant with our fourth daughter and uh, she doesn't work full time. We have a great life. You know, I'm good at what I do. And he knew that was a lot to give up. But I was like, dude, this is important. Like people need to know this. And and so anyways, I, I, I sought it out from some mentors, uh, the advice, and they said, you, you should absolutely do this. And so four months later, I left that career in 2014 and went to work with Russ. And um, over the course of about a year or so, we realized that, man, we were thinking on a different level and different direction than the firm we were at. And, uh, and we said, you know what, let's go out together on our own. And that was in 20, uh, I guess it was just after 2016 that we started the podcast and we started, um, wealth without wall street as a brand that people could look to for, um, an alternative to the way people always think about their finances. And so that's, that's how it all kind of Huh. Uh, start. Yeah, we, uh, I don't know. You guys got cut off. Yeah. Uh, where did you lose us? Uh, I lost you at, um, you guys leaving the firm and starting your own thing. Um, but it's okay. Cause we, we just hit an hour. So, <laughs> Um, yeah, you probably can cut all that, that question off. We can do another time. Yeah, we'll do it on the next one. We'll pick it up and then just make sure you wear, you wear the same green shirt and, the <laughs> same <laughs> yeah, and, and, uh, and we'll, and we'll do it like that. Um, let me ask you a question guys. Um, so before we, um, me answer my wife, okay, let me start recording. So yeah, we'll, we'll just, um, I gotta say something. Hold on. So. Hey, Darwin, you're going to cut this, okay? And we're going to start right here where uh, we're going we're gonna to erase the last question and, and, and now I'm going to say goodbye to, to, and I'll see you on the next one. So, so, hey, guys, thank you so much for being here. Uh, I will see you on the next one because this is, this is a two-part podcast. Um, I am intrigued on what goes forward for Wealth Without Wall Street um, as well as for Joey and Russ. So, um, you know, just stay tuned and I'll catch you in the next one. Don't forget to hit share, like, and subscribe. Thank you. Bye.